And we're live. Another Austria Thomism roundtable. We got Belkov, we got Einkass. Fellas, how you doing? I'm doing fine. <sighs> Fantastic. How are you, Caleb? I'm doing I'm busy. That's what I'm doing. I'm busy. <laughs> I I'm taking the entire month of September off from Twitter and podcasting so I can read these like five books we're gonna cover. Your oh, your yeah. library looks a little fuller behind you. Well, I move books to the top still because I keep I keep I keep grabbing Aristotle as like a site book. And so I keep I keep down down low, and in the amount of times I see people treat like dumb, like starvation stuff, I'm like, no, no, I got I got to go swords in the aching to fix that. <laughs> so this has been this is a fun one. This is a, a optimistic book on love and uh, ecstasy, which has been a lot of fun to read. But yeah, yeah, I need to read that book too, just to compare. It I also, to also just noticed I have I have four library books over here. I forgot to return. <laughs> Great, it were due thirteen days ago. That's fantastic. The elites don't want you to know this, but the books at the library are free. I have 458 <laughs> books from the library at home. That was true. I should just go get a whole bunch of books and never go back. I pay taxes. They're basically mine anyway. Just before I'm you like move out, you move to a different city. Just before, like, the week before you check out, like, the whole library. <laughs> get a book on Hitler. Get a book everywhere. Going around. <laughs> never return them. Uh, I, am, I am the only guy. Who, I am the only person who uses the Bartow Library for anything related to books. Everyone is like on the computers or in the bathrooms. That's all it's used for by homeless people. It's that's God intended, I think. I think that's, that's what, I think, a I think, classic library. Yeah, it's, a classic it's public library in most uh, modern nations. I think. Random tangent. What what is the status of like libraries in Brazil? Because you hear all these things about you know the United States having like this really big public library system and being this big innovation. Is that a do you have like uh, public libraries no a thing in Brazil? Go to private libraries. <laughs> I'm not even joking. <laughs> so I have no clue. <laughs> private libraries are pretty good. Uh, bookstore, uh, bookstores also, you know, versus bookstores, bookstore chains which have libraries and stuff like that, and they usually go to those. Uh, those are really, really good. And they're like inside shopping malls, and they're usually like well frequented, and people are buying books. And there's a cafe outside run by the bookstore, and it's gigantic. I, I mean, I went the other day and I got two Murakami, Haruki Murakami books in English because I prefer the translations in English. So it's great. It was right by the entrance too, which was lucky for me. I didn't need to look far for it. That's awesome. Yeah, the libraries in my area suck. But I like, don't I, think I, the public libraries here are good. I will caveat, caveat, caveat it with that just by looking at our other most of our other public services. I once spent two hours in the biggest library in the county trying to find one philosophy book. I found a Sam Harris book. That was the closest I could find. Oh man! So, so no, no real philosophy is what you're no, saying. No, nothing, nothing. Yeah. They had they had a, a, a dummies guide for a philosophy class. That was that was about it. Nice, interesting. Was, uh, we're saying <laughs> when the manga section is like you know when when the when the manga section of library is bigger than like the literature section, the culture is doomed. <laughs> right there, that's my, that's my barometer. If I can't find Shakespeare, I can find. Uh, no game, no life, volume two or some shit. It's society's over. It's done. Why would it, why would you buy manga? You have a phone. Just like go online. Just, exactly. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's that simple. Like there's like five good mangas in the world, and like one of them is Berserk. I don't know what the other four are. Like I guess Chainsaw Man. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like you have your phone. You don't need to buy it. Like it's fine. And Mura Kentaro's dead. The guy who did Berserk is dead. So you really don't need to buy it. It's fine. <laughs> You can just pirate it. That's my, that's my rule now. Whenever someone's there, I have no need to buy anything of theirs. Just steal it. <laughs> but I could get the money anyway, so what's the matter? 
but we also have a uh, very good news. We have a uh, Shia LaBeouf converting to Catholicism. <laughs> Dubbed in the chat, boys. Dubbed in the chat. <laughs> yeah, that was that was actually I did not ex I did not have that on my twenty twenty two bingo card. Nope, I I forgot who he was honestly. Unless I see a Transformers meme, I forget he exists. <laughs> see, I think but, like I know him more from like the the random like cringe um, libtard stuff, like the we will not divide. He will not divide. Yeah, no, uh, I followed that closely because that was really fucking funny. I forgot about it. Was that. Amazing. I mean, that was really funny. That's still funny. Didn't, like, I love Shia now. That's still really funny. Didn't Steven Crowder go to like Shia LaBeouf's like live stream and do a soda at one point? I, I don't think, he, think it was Crowder. Crowder wasn't a, like a big thing back then. There were several. Gone. Sam Hyde went there. He didn't do a show, but he went there because Sam Hyde is everywhere. There was like other people. Um, there was a lot of crazy stuff because it was like a twenty four seven live feed, and it wasn't really guarded, and it moved location like six times. Yeah, I found and it. He people did it. always managed to screw it over on purpose because it was just funny. It was like, Crowder hijack Silo Buff stream. Dean Kane's guest. What a weird. That thing must to not read. have been funny because I didn't. I don't remember it. <laughs> That's why I assume. Funny. Yeah, it's Crowder. I assume it wasn't funny. <laughs> Harsh. Yeah, so, remember I think Gavin McGinnis did a troll it at some point. Yeah, well, McGinnis. Gavin might. That seems like something Gavin would do. I love Gavin. I miss him so much. He was... I haven't watched him in years. Apparently he's in prison right now. Have you guys heard about that? Oh, I, I heard that he disappeared. Wait, what, I, Gavin... I think I, there was, uh, I haven't gotten any confirmation, but I think there was some word that like, apparently he's actually been, I think he's just like, you know, wait, uh, you know, being held right now, but apparently his involvement in something. Yeah, he's, he's in, in he was interrupted by law enforcement on live show about like what? eight, like 10 hours, like hours and hours ago. And we haven't really heard from him since. Was the last I heard. I think I got confirmation from someone on his staff that, like, yeah, he's been, he's been, he's been taken into custody. Oh, oh, wow, wow. He, he, I gotta say, all the white wing people, uh, and the fact that he's the only one to really, like, you know, get arrested, so is how great he is. <laughs> and another Catholic, like, always important. Oh, he is. I didn't he's know Catholic? that. Oh God, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Again, another dub. We stay winning over here, guys. <laughs> We're just fighting people like Kevin James Catholic. Dub. Yeah, <laughs> he's not even like a convert or anything. He was racist. But like, yeah, that's a W. We just found it out. Whatever. All blah in heaven, guys. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I said it's like the good news. Gavin, another, a cat. We got a new Catholic convert in the Catholic in jail. Well. That sounds. That actually sounds very like much like most of Catholic history. So that's fine. That's yeah, as, ex <laughs> as expected. You know, we're winning. It's like, yeah, so one of us got you know put into prison for his faith. So we, we just continue to win. <laughs> Another martyr yeah, for the cause. Martyr for yeah, the cause. Exactly. Always a victory. Always a victory. Yeah. Well, I, I guess McKenna's listening, praying for martyrdom. I don't know. Yeah. That's <laughs> always a possibility. God decided to grant his prayers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Live on air, so that no one could doubt him too. Baldo, wonder if he got like a heads up and set up a cell. I can see that. See, that was the kind of guy. If he found out, he said it'd be the coming now. Could get the camera on. Let's do a live show. Yeah. <laughs> like that, that's gotta be Baldo. I mean, I don't know how often he does it. Did I? I wonder if law enforcement timed it. I don't know. That no. seems like a thing they might do no, if they're uh, asshole much, enough. As much as I hate uh, Tim Pool, I want to see Gavin McGinnis go on Tim Pool because I know Tim would try to get him to stop talking every few sentences because Gavin's system is not allowed on YouTube. And I think that would just be a lot of fun. <laughs> like, that probably would be fun. Tim Pool is just, he's, I don't know why anybody watches Tim Pool. He's just the worst. But the only time he's funny is when there's a, a guest on and I want to say something, he has to set him up. 
that's the only time he's in. The enjoyable. reason people watched him pool and why I watched Tim Cast for like a few months is because he's a good news aggregator. I mm. got to give him that. It's like, yeah, I'm not going to read like I'm not going to read fucking international newspapers like that. I'll just go to Tim Cast, drop it for like an hour and then leave. It's like whatever. <laughs> like whatever the important news of the day or probably being talked about there or probably mention at least so like oh i'll look this up the conversation is uninteresting but the news is interesting so i'll go look it up or see what say, people who might find interesting have something to say about i get it. i get most of my news from the title of his episodes oh damn someone got arrested uh, okay i just move on i really don't care anymore it's, it's so boring i get most of my international news from a timeline i mean i would not have known Biden pardoned some fucking student loans or whatever. I still don't know what he did if the timeline wasn't talking about it. I still don't know what he did because I don't really care because I'm not American, so it's not my it's not my president. But still, I would not have known about it at all. Exactly. I'm not sure if it's a good thing or a bad thing because it's true for me as well that like my source of news is the timeline. <laughs> yeah. And like I, I think it's probably like if you, if you if you curate decently well, I don't think it's the worst like just source of like this happened, yeah. this happened, this happened. I but it feels really it weird because if, if I'm not following one that cares about it, it didn't exist. Yeah, yeah basically. Yeah, very much so. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I don't curate it well at all. Like I could if I wanted to, but there's like a, a few uh, people I follow who probably have like, Oh, this guy's like like Mr. Prudentialist. He's very good at geopolitics. Like, if I wanted to follow his blog, if I wanted to know what's happening in South Africa, I think Robert Dugan. He's really good on his Substack. There's like people I could follow and check their Substack like every weekend, or you know, like spend 30 minutes just like going through the titles of their Substack stuff if I really wanted to. But I don't. I just like go on Twitter and like if they tweet something, they tweet it, and it gets in my timeline. If it gets in my timeline, <laughs> that's it. That's my curation process. I follow people and then see what happens. Uh, Uncapped, we got a question for you from uh, Grant. Oh, he no. said, um, at, at Osteotonism, ask at Uncapped on air why he avoided Zambia and I. Is he afraid of our power? Oh, terrified. <laughs> Absolutely terrified. It's, uh, I, I, well, no, so I've just tried to build this troll as much as possible because my, my goal is when I, when I actually get to talk, particularly to Grant, is I want to see if I can just give him an aneurysm on air. <laughs> <laughs> Is just just throw every like every single possible thing that I know will trigger him at once, and just like um, scanner style, just watch his head explode. That's that's the goal, and I, and I don't think I wasn't quite ready yet. Like I had to do like the Dragon Ball Z thing, go back and like yeah, train, and, like going the, like the training. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, I forget the, the time compression thing. Train yeah. more. Every yeah. other every other word. Whenever Grant is speaking, you just mutter Rothbard and quiet. Can <laughs> it's like what well, you read Bastiat. <laughs> <laughs> Grant is fun, but he's so much fun to troll. It's so easy. Oh, it's the best. It's the best. This comedy to what economics and he's like blowing a gasket. <laughs> well, if you understood marginal utility, then you would agree with me. I mean, it's true though. Like, there's like, it's, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna go on a rant here real quick. Is like, I, yes. I love those guys, but like, if they if they just had that little bit of like the good part of, of Austrian economic theory, things would fall into place so much more clearly. And it's just like, I, I, I wanted to shake them. It's like, you guys are so smart. Just like, read this. I know you'll hate half of it, but the other half is really good. Yes. <laughs> this one. I've been, this is the only book this would read. Ethics of Money Production by Hughes Mon. The lady is not letting me sell it well. Have but... you read it? What does it talk about? I don't know. Like, I assume it talks about the ethics of money production, but does it actually mm -hmm. get into like the nitty-gritty of, nitty like of economics? It's like two whole chapters on um, the economic uh, fiat money effects on the family and on culture. And like mm -hmm. the spiritual effects of it, and he talks about how like um, 
do you have uh, the effect um the effect printing money through fiat uh, fiat printing the money has on savings and how it affects family and he goes into whole like time preference and um like economic defense of the family it's uh again like the second half of it's really good the first half is really kind of just you know if you know who like monetary economics like i do then it's a pretty fun book but really it's the second half that's i think important for people to kind of this understanding the importance of economics and how much it can affect you know everything else monetary theory is when my brain melts like it's money finance I'm, and banking I'm like, which is unfortunate because those seems the those seem the areas that would make me the most money if i understood <laughs> that like my brain is like no okay we give up that's it like everything else capital structure allocation of resources whatever else like business cycle yep got it money banking finance no 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 i don't get it it's it's brain just like shuts down you like, I get, get the point. basics of the theory, but aside from that, it's like, nope, I don't, when you're trying to apply it, nope, I don't, nope, nope, get out of here. It really is like, you know, I, I trust this author enough, okay, just give me the, what, what, what should I conclude from your, from your 100 page <laughs> yeah, analysis of this? What's, what, what, how do we fix this? What's the problem? Let me just, I don't, I don't care yeah, what he does, it's too hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, if you I, have I, every Bob Murphy like so. Okay, I don't care, get to the end, what matters here. I don't need to hear 50 minutes of, well, here's how they might think of it this way, I don't care. I don't care, Murphy. Yeah, let's talk about an island about where people only produce sushi. Like, let's talk 15 <laughs> minutes about that. Let's <laughs> talk to get to ABC. The only team. time he's bailable is when he's doing episodes with Tom Woods and like Contra Krugman because Tom would like keep it in check, keep it away, which was fantastic. But by himself, I don't yeah. know what I, I've tried watching his podcast. Like, um, what was it? He had Sadius Russell on once, and I, I tried to get through it. It was so. Most of them were just making these table arguments against each other. And I'm like, both of these are stupid. <laughs> like, Bob's argument against postmodernism is dumb, and postmodernism is dumb, so all of this is stupid. It was- I, I think Bob's a great economist. I don't like him as an ethicist or as a philosopher, particularly. But I think he's a great guy. He always sounds like yeah. very nice. He's he very funny like on Twitter. He has and he is very tweets. funny. And he is actually pretty funny. Yeah. Okay, so we had, um, so Silent Buff, back to that. Yes. Uh, Did anyone watch the interview? I watched a, about half of it. I did not. I watched all of it. I couldn't, get, I couldn't move. I was like, no, I'm here until I finish this. So I haven't gotten around. I've, I've heard fantastic things. Can you give us sort of a rundown? Really good. I. It might be my favorite interview of all time. I'm. Mm-hmm. I'm not even joking. And it's that good. I thought. I felt like, like I because so, I really didn't expect this. So let me let me play like sort of ask the devil's advocate questioning at least yep. a little bit because I I've some, there's a couple of voices that have been sort of like you know doubting how authentic this is. Apparently, this is his second time converting to Catholicism. Was is, was I seeing that correctly? Like he's technically been baptized, but yes, okay. it's like his second time really kind of participating. But the other time was in like 2014 when, as he admits, he was fucking insane. Like <laughs> I, I it was more or less just before, Fair. but he will not divide us stuff. Where he was really kind of like losing his fame and kind of crazy, and I think that shows. Uh, I don't, and he and he says that he wasn't really catechized, and he only really got properly catechized now, where he spent months and months with Capuchin friars, uh, and they just taught him everything. That so they was, could. was was all of that just part of his his preparation for playing Padre Pio? Or I mean, it, yeah, he just like I mean, he it started as that, and then it became. Oh, more. he just stayed. Okay, gotcha. I mean, he just I mean, they didn't send him there. He just went there. I was like, because he said like, okay, it was my ego driving me. I was like, okay, this is going to be a movie. It's going to be good for my career. My career is kind of in shambles. And then he then after the first month, he was like, okay, this is no longer just training. This is just like. This is okay. I'm becoming Catholic now, basically. And he's really passionate about it. If you see the interview, 
I mean, I mean it, it opens really, up, really I, passionate. I love how it opens up with Mr. Bear and when you talk about like the craft of acting. And I was like, oh, that'd be interesting to hear what he says about acting. And he and Silo Silo immediately cuts right back to the math and he has to be like drawn back into like, talking about acting. <laughs> yeah. He's like, he I don't about acting. I'm an actor. So he jumps to the math. He, he brings up like his thoughts before Mr. Bear does, which is interesting. It's a really fun interview. Really, really good. I mean, this was very, very interesting to say. And it's created it's... great memes. Like, Catholics <laughs> finally have all a Muslim newscaster meme. <laughs> we have Sia LaBeouf saying things like, this Inquisition will be after the Jesuits. Like, we have great memes now. Yeah, that's EWTN, right? Eternal Memory TV. After the famous, infamous Memory TV memes. Which are great. But yeah, man, this is a really good interview. Really, really worth your time. Because it's a very, it's someone who's very clearly passionate and is pretty crazy about this. And hearing him talk about Pio and what the people who met Pio told him. Like, I never knew because I never look into Pio because Padre Pio is not big in Brazil. We have St. Francis and Mother Mary. That's who we re- Those are who we really like. Everyone else is like, uh, you know, St. Longinius. We, we pray to him whenever we lose something or whatever. That's just like cultural stuff. Um we don't really know Padre Pio, but hearing him talk about how people confirmed that, yeah, Padre Pio just had all-out fist fights with the devil every night, every now and then. Like, there were dents and blood in his room. Like, his room was broken. His fingers <laughs> is, were mashed. Like, yeah, that, that just happened. Like, that's just a thing that happened every now and then. And Bishop Aaron was like, yeah, that's a, yeah, we've had mystics do that before. That sounds very real. <laughs> he just took it very much in stride, obviously. because I don't Aaron know anything about... I know nothing about the saint he's playing. I know who he was until I heard about the Sarah LaBeouf interviews. Um, so I need to, I'm, I'm very excited to watch the movie. There is another Padre movie which I've downloaded. I should watch, uh, mm-hmm. which is from 2001. I've heard it's pretty good. But, uh, I'm very the movie night. We'll yeah, I'm very excited movie. for Shia's performance. But yeah, I think Cato said like, yeah, Cato mentioned this in chat earlier. That, like, I'm no longer worried about Shia playing Padre <laughs> Pio after this. I'm really <laughs> not worried at all. Yeah, it's gonna be a. There's been a lot of great Catholic movies. We got Father Stew. We got this one coming out. This, so Mark Wahlberg getting more involved in Catholicism. Sarah LaBeouf getting becoming Catholic. We need Mel Gibson to make like another another Catholic film now. We just need to have. Oh like, yeah, Mel movie. Gibson. Mel Gibson's like got him into land masses. He mentioned that like very en passant, but like it was like I don't I didn't know where land masses were, and but I'm good friends with Mel Gibson, and so Mel Gibson is like Percy knows, yeah, yeah. Of course he knows. That's, that's awesome. I need I need those three guys to make a movie now, like a very Catholic movie. That'd be, interesting. be funny to me that like Mark Wahlberg would play Sia LaBeouf and transform into like the main guy, and then the most Catholic now. I don't know. I, just, I think that's like a funny coincidence. Was Mark Wahlberg like the main guy in Transformers? Yeah, he the replaced one? him. Uh, Sia LaBeouf did the first oh. three, and then the next two were with Mark Wahlberg. Mm. Michael Bay, secret Catholic confirmed. <laughs> Yeah, that's my connection now. That's- like, imagine if that was like Michael Bay is like acting like this very like stereotypically Jewish guy only hires Jewish people for him for like the main jobs with the most money. Like, I no think that, that conversion would shock me more than than Shia LaBeouf would. Yeah, that would also. Yeah, Michael Bay is like actually all Transformers movies are actually very secretly Catholic. If you look, there's like symbolism everywhere, but no one noticed. We just thought it was schlock. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That, that's this. Who would be the biggest surprise? Like, what celebrity would you be like the biggest shock you found? Maybe Ken Castle. Elon Musk. Yeah. Bill, Bill Gates. Gates. Bill Actually, Gates Bill Gates, Gates I wouldn't believe. Yeah. So that doesn't. I wouldn't count. believe. I wouldn't know. 
Uh, who would who, be? It's like Tony Blair becoming Catholic. It's like, mm, really? Really? Yeah. Are you sure? I think for me, it'd be The Rock. The Rock would be like the biggest, like, didn't expect that, but good to know. You know? The big, I'm trying to think who would be like, because it would be some like really like super evangelical prot that like was already very Christian, but like, you just oh, what's know. his name? What's his name? Oh my God. Uh, he was, he does all those Christian films. Um, Oh my God. What's his name? I know who you're talking about. Sir, um, Sarbos? Kevin Sorbo. No, uh, no, no. Yeah. He was, that's how he He's great. Um, no, what's his name? Um, what's he done? Give us more some of the movies. Uh, yeah. he was in Left Behind. He, uh, was in that growing pain still growing up on growing. Uh, Wait, Left Behind wasn't a Nicolas Cage in that. Yeah, but there's, a, there's an older one he did. Oh. It is going to bug me if I don't look it up right now. Hold on. I got to find it. Uh, Cook Cameron. <laughs> oh, yeah, Cameron. Yeah. That's yeah. it. Cook Cameron. That would be Kirk the funniest Cameron. one to me. Him or Leonardo DiCaprio. Really that would be pretty funny. He's like he's like super proud. He's like super yes. evangelical. I've seen yeah, like he's... 10 minutes of him maybe total speaking. He's super evangelical. Like you can get that from him immediately. He, he, goes a, he goes to a, a mega church type situation where the guy's like a prosperity preacher. Twin Horn did a great rebuttal to his um, pastor's video on like going out to Catholic salvation. Well, I can't remember the guy's name. That's gonna bug me. If I don't. Okay, I can't. I can't I'm not gonna look it up. It'll bug me too much. But um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of since they started the turn. You know, like, like Tim Dillon was on, on Joe Rogan the other day. Like, you know, to be cool now, you have to be Catholic or something. Um, which is turn around and when the counterculture, the culture is so. That's bullshit. People just return to counterculture with being Catholic, which is, you know, when for when. I mean, even if initially it's just a draw towards the aesthetics, and we have, I mean, we should, you know, be humble and accept the mantle as the most aesthetic Christian denomination. Um, <laughs> in all humility, accept the mantle and responsibility of that fact. And uh, just, you know, like obviously, if people are looking for meaning, they look for the people, for the most stylish people providing meaning first, and then, you know, it becomes a real thing afterwards, if God wills. But I think, I think it's a, and, and sort of brings around to what we'll eventually end up getting onto this evening, but they're like the idea of Catholicism being the counterculture, like it, it is hard to get much further away because so much of what we're in now is this sort of, you know, post liberalism post-enlightenment, French Revolution, um, idealist kind of, and and like you mentioned, Bolga, the, the aesthetics of the Catholic Church and the reality mm -hmm. of the Catholic, like it's, it's, you can't get much more trad than the Catholic Church and trad is counterculture right now. Yeah, no, but I think the Catholic Church is always, has, has a countercultural spirit in the sense that almost all of its heresies that it condemned were fads of the time. Mm. I mean, the asceticism of Manny's, the, Arian, the Arianism of Deacon Arius. I mean, when Constantine converted, he, he and his son were, his son was definitely an Arian. He wasn't a Catholic, properly speaking. And Constantine himself was Arian-leaning. So even then, like, even the church put itself in opposition to Constantine, even when it accepted its, his end of persecution. It put itself in opposition to his actual beliefs in, uh, in Arianism, having condemned it as a heresy. So at every, almost every moment when it's faced with a heresy, it will at the la it will at the most surprising moment say, "Nope, we're against that. You're wrong," and always it will always never say quite what you expect. I think Chesterton makes this point. It will never say quite what you expect it to say or when you expect it to say it. Yeah, heck, we were the counterculture room for the first few hundred years. Yeah, we're Romans against Rome in a sense. Like we're all like, like we're the Roman Catholic Church, yet we were in open rebellion against the Roman emperors for like what three hundred years. Something like that. 
Yeah. No, I think I think the church is always at its its most. I don't know about its strongest, but it's always it's it's most pure self when it's in opposition to the dominant culture. Oh yeah. When it when it's when it's not subject to the the whims and fads of of the day. Yeah. I think I'm trying to find the Chesterton line. Yeah. It it I'm trying. Let me see if I can find it. It's in the Everlasting Man. Uh. It shares in all human size. It shares sharing in its human side all the passions of the age of the age. Yet always at the supreme moment, suddenly rising superior to them, never saying exactly what it was expected to say, and never needing to unsay what it had said. I can find no explanation except that, like Pallas from the brain of Jove, it had indeed come forth out of the mind of God, mature and mighty, and armed for judgment and for war. This is from Everlasting Man, Man, the Witness of the Heretics, which is probably my favorite chapter of the book. It's a really Fantastic. good chapter. When are we, we going to do the? When are we going to start covering Chesterton, Caleb? I keep I keep telling you you need to do Chesterton on here. I okay. read the first Father Brown book recently. <clears throat> when <Thanks>. I finish, <coughs> okay, yeah, yeah. Come on, Caleb, read more. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> um, it's. There's so many books and audio books. It's like, <laughs> I got I got a complaint at work the other day because the guy was like, I'm asking all these questions about the job and you always have your headphones in. I'm like, oh, I'm, I don't care about this job, dude. I'm trying to do the podcast. <laughs> I have a podcast. I have a book to Priorities. listen to. Shut up. Like, <laughs> I care about this job. This pays, like, I can't, no. This, I, uh, this job is great because I can drive the truck for four hours and listen to an audio book. It's the only benefit. Perfect Catholic it's... work ethic. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> Stop taking naps in the field. You partisan boss is always trying to keep the, the Catholic man down. <laughs> trying to keep the Catholic man down. <laughs> trying to make us work. Rome was a bit in a day because of the Catholic work ethic. Yeah. But yeah, going back to a counterculture, the Catholic church is a fighting church at the end of the day. If it gets too comfortable, it gets uh, it gets uneasy. It doesn't like being too comfortable. It kind of likes having something to struggle against. I mean, it always will at the end of the day. You know, mm -hmm. we do have great our enemy. Uh at the end of the day, even if everyone converted and was a strict Catholic, but even but in whatever, whenever the powers of the world are arrayed against it explicitly or even implicitly, or when eventually we get to our best, it, it makes it makes the the fight easier because it's it's more obvious who the enemy is. Yes, if you if you have a culture that is that is nominally Catholic or is or is leaning in that direction, it's much more difficult to to uncover heresy or to root out evil. When the mm -hmm. when the culture is explicitly against you, you can just fight against that. It's much much more straightforward. Yes, very much so. Especially, I I don't know. Maybe this is a thing of the modern world where the Catholic Church. Uh, I mean, it always had to play politics, but from what I've read, it didn't exactly play politics the same way. Maybe because uh, you know, it held sway over men who would raise armies for it. Like barons would just say, "Yeah, the Catholic Church says this. The king is a heretic. Yeah, let's go kill the king. Whatever." Like, yeah, we'll raise the army. And now we don't really have dukes and earls who might be willing to say, yeah, no, the king is wrong. Let's go. He He's a heretic. He's rebellious. This other guy who's like his brother is like, a, you know, he's in strict adherence with, with God. And even though he might have his problems with the pope and, you know, maybe he's considering killing the pope in the future. He's still like a Catholic. <laughs> he's at least not a heretic. <laughs> I mean, which is what happened with, uh, I forget which King Louis it was, but in the Avignon Papacy, it started because King Louis kind of accidentally killed the Pope because, like, they were having this whole dispute. I forget what it was about. 
<laughs> and uh, he, he sent guys to beat up the Pope while the Pope was visiting his hometown, and the Pope died of his injuries like two weeks later. <laughs> so, <laughs> and that's, then the next Pope, one. and then the next Pope died like only one year later. No, I know why. Because the Pope was planning to excommunicate the king, and the king was like, no, you're not, and just beat him up, <laughs> which is an insane power move when I think about it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and then the next Pope was like, no, we're not going to excommunicate you. But he was old, so he died like one year later. And then the next guy, I think it was Pope Clement V, or he's Clement something. He says, also, we're moving like the papal court to France. For now, because there's the Cathars there, and I want to squash that heresy, and I want to make sure the King of France doesn't break away. And so he did that. And you know, people say that like he kind of conceded, but very rarely. He kind of strong armed the King of France, partly because he was friends with him before, but he wasn't a subject of France either. He was uh, the southern region of France, of modern France, wasn't under the King of France's purview at the time. And he was personal friends with Louis. So he really managed to strong arm him into a lot of concessions to the Catholic Church without ever having to, you know, friend to excommunicate him and getting killed for it. The Pope's won politics. <laughs> he kind of really, they really did. But I think the system there facilitated it. The modern system, it's like, nope, there's like an absolute authority in these matters and what they say goes. Really, I think <clears throat> one of the things that you really see is kind of transition, like World War One, World War Two, when a lot of countries wanted to get the Allies to stop and go through the papacy. Like, mm -hmm. like uh, Japan, when he tried to surrender to America, and America wouldn't hear the, uh, the uncritical surrender policy, the guy, what the um, Japanese ambassador to the papacy, like, tried to pursue through paper routes um, the uh, like, squashing of the war, and they wouldn't hear it, you know? I think that's, that's actually a, what the Japanese did at one point. Yeah. I mean, when they were losing against the Americans, I remember. Yeah. I remember even, like, uh, someone sent Roosevelt, like, a relic, like, not not a relic, but, like, something made out of, like, either the bones or something of Japanese mm -hmm. soldiers. Uh, and, like, Roosevelt praised it, and then the Japanese envoy in the Vatican was like, what the fuck? And Roosevelt <laughs> then, like, gave it back, like, got it buried with uh, the other Japanese soldiers and sent it back to the homeland. But, yeah, hey, that was... Uh, mic? Uh, Andrew says the mic is working. Can hear you fine. Um, I can hear you fine. You're not a little gravelly. But you're not echoing, okay, which me, would, um, was the problem every time. So I didn't raise it up. Okay. Um. How's nope. Not that one. How's but yeah. To your, your point, Bulgov, I think it's a in in certainly in, in the you know in our lifetimes at least. But I think the last hundred years or so, it, it seems like in some way the 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 church is sort of you know like you said historically very good at playing politics when it needs to. And a lot of times we've already sort of taken a back seat in politics and sort of tried to either be above it or be separate from it. And I think much of the detriment of, of geopolitics worldwide is that there's, yes. you, you, it's hard to imagine a, a conflict being mediated right now by the, by the, by the Vatican. Um, in the way that like Cable was mentioning that, you know, people would go through and try and, and organize mm -hmm. ceasefires or surrenders or um, that there was a, there was a role for the cat. There should be a role for the Catholic church to do those things. Yeah. And I, I mean, it doesn't really exist anymore. And I think, mm -hmm. uh, to some extent, I think the church sort of seated ground in that regard. And I think it's, again, I think it's very bad for geopolitics to not have that, that avenue or not mm -hmm. have that. I think it's present. maybe it's seat. I don't know. I, I would need to trace the history of it. Certainly it'd be after the Protestant revolt, let's say I almost said reformation, but uh, I would need to see the history of it. If it was either something that the state themselves, you know, will take the hoppy and basic view of like, yeah, the King centralized power and removes power from the other aristocrats. And as a process of that, the Chapa doesn't talk about, um, as a process, as a consequence of that process, he also took away the influence by removing aristocrats. He also removed the influence that the church might have had over those aristocrats and over the people 
therefore that those aristocrats had influence and control over by aristocrats i mean not just like courtiers or whatever i mean the actual like earls dukes uh uh whatever barons uh mm-hmm. archdukes whatever i've what else would be i forget all the, the titles now counts yeah counts dukes barons stuff like that at all levels so by removing that and centralizing power in like uh one government nowadays back then would be like one figure uh i think especially with the advent of the modern state and i think the modern state can kind of trace back to the american revolution and the french revolution those would i think be the two most uh earliest approximations i can see of mm-hmm. the idea of modern governance or right. where the principles of modern governance get taken from you know we can say that maybe i don't know much about american history by caleb uh <laughs> i don't know much about american history but Maybe we can say that, you know, it was very, very good at the beginning until like 1820 something, which is, I think, the date, which I usually hear Americans say it all started to go really, really wrong. <laughs> I don't know why, what happened there, but fine, I'll believe you. I'll take you at your word. You probably know your stuff better than I do. And the French Revolution was, as we all know, an immediate disaster. And I think everyone was like, yeah, I want that disaster here, too. <laughs> and and I don't know how much influence the church could have had in stopping it. It's outside of maybe cr- calling a crusade. That's kind of what I imagine they maybe could have done that would have made have that effect. But even then, by that point, Protestantism had already spread enough to really uh, disarm uh, whatever calls for a crusade might have, mm-hmm. whatever the results of a calls for a crusade might have gotten. I do love the idea of calling a modern crusade, especially because yeah. the, the, the Catholic diaspora is, is so, it's just sort of everywhere. You know, a crusade a thousand years ago, I mean, okay, basically like Europe is going to go do, do X. Yes. Now it, it would be so, it would be so just sort of, um, you, you, you would have crusaders already in every community, in every country in the world. Mm-hmm. And I think it would be, it would be very interesting to see what would happen if there was a, if there was a, you know, it doesn't have to be a, a, a bloody conflict, but if there was just a call to like, no, Catholics, we need to do this to fix the modern world. Mm-hmm. What that, what that kind of, what action would look like just because it we're, we're everywhere. And Andrew has uh, in the chat has mentioned that uh, Francis has actually been trying to media- mediate, and I know, but as as the next one points out, the Russian patriarch canceled a public meeting with Francis. I don't think that would have happened in like a you know fourteen fifty, like maybe the Russian patriarch would have, but not in the war, but not in the war of like let's say maybe this scale. Maybe the patriarch would have, but you know I don't think the kings would have. Yeah, Unless they were really, now. really intent. I think I'm Francis not, uh... would have held, held more sway in 1450 than he does nowadays. But yeah, Andrew, you make a good point. The, the Vatican at least has some idea that it should exercise this power. That even though it is not a, you know, it's in this world and not of this world, as some people say. But at the same time, you are in this world. So act like you're in it. Try to make things better. You have a role and a duty here. We could hear you, Caleb. We can't now. Oh, yeah. Anything right now? Nope. We see your lips moving, my friend. When you first hop back right, in, now. Back in, we can hear you. Yeah, we can hear you. Yeah, okay. we can hear you. There we go. Sorry, there was a. My pod track wasn't wanting to work. I yeah, and your audio is better. It's less robotic. robotic. Okay. There we go. Good. Okay, we're not, we're not on back. <laughs> um, <clears throat> the Enlightenment, we've kind of been talking about. The politics of the Pope no longer kind of being the papacy no longer being like the intermediary or kind of the founders and enforcers of uh, or not enforce I guess the out the uh, the root of uh, natural law and uh, not natural law. So my brain is like on the foot today. Um, inter- international law. That's what I'm looking for. 
Uh, we had to talk about how that was kind of like the case beforehand, how it's kind of died down. It's time to talk about like why it died down. It's kind of focus on the enlightenment over here and how it what caused the enlightenment, the effects of the enlightenment. This is a round table on the enlightenment. So anybody want to take a side uh, describing the enlightenment to the audience? Well, okay. I don't know if I can describe it. I'd probably ask you to, uh, if anyone critically read Kant, uh, Kant's essay on this topic, but he wrote for a newspaper, so it's actually readable. I uh, forget <laughs> what what all of his feces are, but essentially critically read it. And if you agree with Kant, you're like, wow, this was a good thing. If you don't agree with Kant, it's like, oh, wow, this is awful, terrible, bad, bad news. Get away, get this away from me. Because of, because basically it's the um, idea of letting go of all old superstitions. And you see this very much with the French thinkers like Voltaire and Rousseau and, Diderot, and Denis Diderot who influenced the French Revolution. I mean, I have a quote from Diderot who, in case you don't, everyone doesn't know, but Fran the French Republic specifically, not Republic, sorry, the French monarchy specifically, before the revolution, very much its influencers, the people who influence really the lay people were actually the philosophers, the men of letters. It was called, I think, the Republic of Letters was this group of philosophers loosely grouped together. They weren't really friends. Voltaire was not friends with Rousseau by any means, who were uh, really the influencers and uh, who kind of stirred all this shit inadvertently because Rousseau was not a revolutionary or at least claimed not to be. And Voltaire certainly was not. Voltaire was a reformer. He very much liked kings. He liked enlightened despots. He didn't even think like most people should read. He thought most people should like, there should be like 40,000 literate people and they can run the thing, the world, like, or not the world. They can run France, like Plato's Republic. They can be philosopher kings, but everyone else doesn't need to read and they'll be perfectly happy. So Voltaire would be almost reactionary to Rousseau. But it's this. But Voltaire very much thinks that reason that all absolutes are derived from reason. That you know, there's all these old superstitions, and Voltaire, you know, he made some kind comments to church every now and then. But at the end of the day, he considered all of this obscurantism, bigotry, and superstition, uh, and that's pretty much what everyone took from him. I mean, his method wasn't really exactly just debating of ideas. His method in dialectic, because he's an excellent writer of fiction. Is I is this ironic commentary of exposing ironies and whatever he's critiquing, even in himself, but because he highlights the ironies in himself, they're fine. He sort of lampshades them and moves on. Uh, Rousseau has this problem, and Diderot, the guy who wrote the Encyclopédie, uh, I think the is that how you say it in French, uh, which basically set the idea for how science was to be conducted from thenceforward, especially in uh, Central to Western Europe. Uh, via he had this great quote. I don't remember if it was the in, in, uh, in his encyclopedia or outside of it, but he had this very uh, fascinating, well, revealing quote, I should say, which is that reason is for the philosopher what grace is to the Christian. Now, basically, reason is the only thing that can save us. It's this idea. That's why you get the cult of reason. It's not a coincidence. It didn't emerge out of the ether. And of course, so so might be the mo the guy who most confused philosophy ever, maybe, or at least the philosophy in the or minds of ordinary people. I mean, before then, like, I don't think you get the confusion of natural law that libertarians have nowadays if you don't have Husso. And Mahitan explains this brilliantly. Because Husso, in you can kind of say he has a natural law theory. I mean, that's why he has the noble savage. 
because he confuses two meanings of natural law that Aquinas distinguishes. The first meaning is whatever basically the purpose of a thing is and what is in accordance with its essence. That is, there is certain things that this thing should do, and in un irrational nature, such as water, it will just flow downhill because that, it's, that, it, that is its purpose. The purpose of human beings is to worship God and enjoy him forever and ever. So therefore, that's what we should do. That's what our teleology tends toward. That's what our goal, that's what our flourishing would look like. But we have to choose these things, and there are virtues that help us achieve that, such as faith, hope, charity, courage, wisdom, justice, and I forget the other one. The other the fourth cardinal virtue. And it might be temperance, I believe. And basically what Rousseau does is he confuses these two things and says, okay, man was born a savage. And there was these certain characteristics. There wasn't property, for example. I think he famously said that the first man who um, set up a fence did, one of, did the greatest sin of all time. And you can sort of see a Christian arc of history in his. There's the original state of nature, which is blessed and good. And then there's a fall of acquiring certain habits of civilization. And then, and then there is, hopefully, he doesn't think, he doesn't have a theory of history per se, hopefully, there is a salvation and a return to the natural state. And in this natural state would sort of be this democratic uh, city state, which is his idea, this complete uh, idea of equality, liberty, and return to nature where all are equal and free and he confuses and by his confusing confusing these two things you get something like rothbard's robinson crusoe as the basis of all morality well i shouldn't say morality rothbard was distinguished that. i'll give him some credit the basis of all ethics that is the basis of all permissible actions at least and you don't get this idea of uh, Aquinas and Rothbard in agreement as to what natural law is unless you have someone along the way which confuses what natural law is. So even then, you see the influence of Rousseau even in modern libertarians. So that, that's basically my mini rant on Voltaire, Rousseau, and Diderot, and beginnings of the French Revolution. But we, we've already talked about the actual French Revolution without that Ledin essay, I believe. He goes uh, in depth. Not very, not very much in depth, but enough in depth to get to know that it was not a pretty thing yeah. by any stretch of the imagination. But those are my comments. But those, that's what I have to say for now. You guys can comment away, please. I think it's been, and we, we, I want to, I want to finish it with you guys at some point. But it's been so enlightening going through uh, Jacques Maritain's three reformers because mm -hmm. I, I think. Yes. And he was writing that in the fifties, I think, is what we what we decided as the publication day for that. But just so up, clearly yeah. saw the the thread of essentially, you know, the, the development from the the Protestant Revolution. Um, Much as, earlier, actually, nineteen twenty eight. By the way, continue through nineteen twenty eight. Oh my God, yeah. So you're in the in the twenties, he's already sort of figured out like mm -hmm. these are the thoughts, these are the guys, these are the ideas that have so in, infected um, modern thought. Because I've, I've certainly heard people criticize Rousseau before, rightfully, and and yeah. um, mm -hmm. I'm trying to. I think it's a it's a James Lindsay quote. This is we're basically living in Rousseau's world. Like it's we have we have culturally just sort of adopted his philosophy in a lot of ways. I'm, I will probably rant plenty against Descartes over the course of the rest of this episode, um, and then seeing the the sort of origins in the in the failures in in theology with Luther. That it's 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 those three men and their ideas and the and the the structure around them. There really is. If you can understand their thought and what's wrong with their thought, the, the modern world makes so much sense. And it is mm -hmm. really everything since then. There, what's the idea? The, um, 
I'm going to butcher the quote, but um, everything I, I can't, I'm not going to, I'm screwed up about how, how everything after this person is a, is a footnote on, on philosophy. Oh, really, yeah, I think Alfred Whitehead said this about Plato, the history of Western philosophy is a footnote to Plato. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It, um, the, the sort of modern version of that is, is, you know, the, the philosophy of the last 200 years is a footnote on Luther Descartes and Rousseau. Oh, yeah. um, as, as we have, we have, you know, there's sort of been tweaks around the edges of those flaws, but it is, it is that, it is their thinking in its, in its fullness and, and made uh, absolutely real that completely explains the, the current state of the world, I think, to a large degree. Yeah, very much so. Whose Vogue chapter is enlightening. I mean, this distinction that Maritime uh, draws, where he says this is, um, this is what Rousseau gets confused, and then suddenly it clicked into clicked why libertarians insist that they are using natural law. It's like, yeah, it's because of Rousseau. Like that's why. That's that's literally what, like I know you guys say Locke, but like no, Rousseau is easily the most influential guy. Like the liberals of the 19th century barely read Locke, if I remember correctly. I think Charles Bad posted about this. Like Locke was not seen as a major figure by the liberals of the 19th century. They, I mean, if we're talking about French school, Bastia and the others, even though they might not have liked Rousseau, they would have read Rousseau. They wouldn't have read the Scholastics. Bastia probably never read Aquinas. Um, Jean-Baptiste probably never read Aquinas. Molinari never read, probably never read Aquinas. But all of those people would have read Rousseau or at least had his ideas just sort of absorbed by osmosis. That is one interesting thing I've been noticing. Like it's um, like one guy is influential. And then for the next hundred years or so, his ideas kind of permeate. So people will just, will, will just say something off the top of their head, like the thing is, no, we're going to Like, no, I thought he was so weird. They just said, you know, they just kind of like the underlying, like, an underlying, like, common philosophy people have is Cartesian and uh, they call it in its nature, you know? Mm -hmm. I was like, I remember every time I talk, every time I, try, I talk like philosophy with anybody, because, you know, so I talk about a lot, people know that. So the, Sometimes I've been a part of people bring up and talk philosophy, and they always say the same thing. When I say anything like philosophical, they say, "Well, you can't really know anything except that you exist." And I'm just like, "Really?" It's like, "Well, what did you learn?" Like, it's just, it's just common sense. I'm like, "It's really not," but um, <laughs> it's really not. It's the exact opposite of common sense. Common yeah. sense you sense things, and you sense the same things that other people do. <laughs> I can actually yeah. go beyond that. You don't know that you exist if you're taking up Descartes' viewpoint. You know that something exists, but yeah. for example, you could be something else dreaming that you're you. Mm -hmm. You could be a mask for some other thing. Yeah. You don't need to be you. You know that something exists. You know that something maybe has changes if you experience time. So maybe there's changes in thought, but you can only, but maybe that's only just experience in a dream and no time is actually passing for whatever is dreaming you. And, and nowadays, most of the answers I get for people is they say, uh, well, we call this living in simulations. simulations. How do you know that? And it's just like, I'm, I'm, I'm not engaging with this one. <laughs> moment, moment someone brings up simulation theory, I just want to start like stabbing them and say, is this knife made of, this knife made of ones and zeros? It's, it's just, it's so stupid. Um, I mean, I think this is why the cyberpunk genre and especially some anime like uh, Ghost in the Shell, which is one of the few animated movies from Japan I've watched recently. I say recently, the last like three, four, maybe four years now. Uh, but it's actually really good. It's only one hour and 20. And it, I think people sympathize or empathize or have some relation to it because it's sort of because ghost in the shell is basically the philosophy of mind that people have you're a you are a little person controlling this big brain this big meat machine 
and that's what you are. You are not the meat machine. You are of a little person in the head of a, of a big meat machine. Mm -hmm. That's what you are. You are a ghost in a shell, a spirit in this empty vessel that you have inhabited for now. And that's why I think cyberpunk with its idea of a, you know, the modification of the body. And it's not just that people, it's not exactly that people want that except the transhumanists. It's that there's this instinctive reaction to it. And yet it is the logical consequence of these ideas given the right technology. And you mentioned transhumanism. If you, if you sort of have a, a proper understanding of buzzword time holomorphism um and, uh -huh. have an understanding of what what it, what it is to be human at the level of that aristotle had um the the sort of things that transhumanists will try and espouse just is clearly nonsense but you, you talk about okay and transhumanists want this but like you know the 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 most of the culture they would say okay yeah, this is a thing that can be done or a thing that can happen or this is what a man is and maybe we should want this maybe we shouldn't but there's no appreciation for the idea that you are a you are a body and spirit that you are that you are you know, there's a unity of those two things that you mm -hmm. aren't, you know, this the go a ghost in the shell. I don't and know the how funny many thing is, Cyberpunk understands this for the most part because, for example, um, even in the um, eponymous game, uh, tabletop game, Cyberpunk 2077, what you get, for example, every time you modify, you have an additional modification to your body. So, for example, let's say you want something cool like a chainsaw leg for some reason, and like they know it's silly, but flavor, flavor text is silly, but that's what they say. Um, let's say you want that. You actually have like cyber psycho points, I believe that's what it's called. So you get less empathy and you get more crazy and you get more and you have a higher chance of going haywire and just like starting killing people. The more modifications there are in your body, the less there is of the original meat, let's say the original flesh in mm -hmm. your body. So for, and this also runs throughout cyberpunk fiction and transhumanist fiction, this idea that, you know, we don't know exactly what, but you're missing. Like we don't have the words of the philosopher concept to explain it, but there's something missing. There is something that's not you there anymore and you're changing it and you probably shouldn't. Hmm. Uh, that's interesting. I didn't know about, I didn't know about the uh, tabletop game. That's, uh, that's got to be a cool mechanic though for the tabletop game. It's got to be <laughs> like someone, somebody really plays cool. Pathfinder. I'm like, I, I've been asked to win the next like, Pathfinder campaign. I might just say, no guys, we're going to do this one now and just hop in the deck. That sounds pretty fun. Pathfinder is a lot of rules. I remember I've, yeah. if that's like for 3.5e uh, expanded edition, basically. I play with a guy. I have the books. It's great if you just want like, oh, they have a fully fleshed out honor system if you want to, if you want that. They have a fully fleshed out chase system if you want that. Good. I'm not going to use these all sim simultaneously, yeah. but it's good that if I want to do that, it's there. The, I can just look up the rules. The, D, the DM is a very like engineering kind of guy. So he's very like particular, very like yeah, yeah. all the rules are laid out. Everything is defined. And one of the other guys is one of those like uh, he's very autistic. He's a rule lawyer. So they're just like I'll play for two hours, and an hour and a half of it, where you spend with him debating about what the proper rules for the game are. I mean, classic. It's, that happens it's, it's, all the time. It's terrible. <laughs> um, it's awful. Anyway, I just, back to, I just, I just back to fireballs. <laughs> Can we go um, back on topic, please? Can we talk about Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven? Back to the topic, Cyberpunk. Um, Cyberpunk or Enlightenment or just Descartes? Because really, this is talking about Descartes. This is oh, God. Descartes. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to start my rant now. Because yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I blame so much of this on Descartes. And, and again, Meritus are of my eyes to like, okay, maybe we need to go back and blame Luther for some of it as well. Um, but the... And the, and the, the, the and I think we talked about this with with three reformers in general, but the, no one would have listened to Descartes, to Descartes if he didn't have something of value to offer. Um, and what you really have is we talk about enlightenment thinking and the, and the scientific revolution that came along with 
using the good that was in Descartes' ideas. Um, I mean, it, it literally transforms the way that that science is done, that mathematics is done, the unification of science and mathematics. Um, you have something extremely powerful, and you have this explosion of technology and science and understanding of it. And it's it's in a, in a lot of ways absolutely due to, due to, due to Descartes and his thinking. Um, but you also have that it's this fundamental flaw at the core of it is that is this philosophical idealism is that he is entirely in his head mm -hmm. and in his head, he can make a lot of equations. He can do a lot of system. He can, he can make a lot of systems and he can make a lot of abstractions and compare unlike things. And again, you can, you can develop this incredible machinery to, to solve problems and get the right answer. And it's, it's revolutionary. And again, we, we see technology just take off after Descartes because people can start using it. But they forget that it's an abstraction. Descartes forgets an it's an abstraction. As you can talk about, okay, I can build the system in my head. And then you think the system, because all that you know that's real is in your head. So, okay, mm -hmm. the system is in my head. All I, know, all I know is what's in my head. So the system is real. And you forget that there's a reality outside of you mm -hmm. that, you're, that all these things are pointing to. Mm -hmm. That ultimately you're talking about a real world. And that that's the sort of thing that should take precedence. It's the first thing you know is the real world outside your head. And that's then you figure out that there's a head that's thinking about it. Mm -hmm. um, and you see this, and then and Rousseau sort of takes this in the field of morality that he can do evil things, he can be a fundamentally despicable person, but he, but he thinks good, you know. He, he thinks <laughs> yes, he thoughts, thinks good, and this and this makes him a this makes him a moral individual. And like like uh, Bulge mentioned earlier, um, you see this thread all the way through into, into libertarianism, or or uh, as as um, Jeremy on Contradictions likes to call. Uh, a lot of that thread, he calls it consensualist. It's like, mm -hmm. what's what's the fundamental part of my morality? It's well, it's what I want. It's what's in my head. It has nothing to do with if something is good for me or bad for me. If I want it, that's all the that's all I can say about it being good. Even mm -hmm. something like when you look at um, on human action, when 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 Mises is sort of doing his introduction, he very explicitly says, "Well, we like science can't possibly answer if something is good or bad, or you should want something or you shouldn't want something." We know people want things. How do they go get those things? And you know, fair enough, he can make a good economic theory out of that. But he, but he explicitly says, okay, well, the science isn't for knowing what's good or what is real. It's you know, all we have is people's preferences, and that's all we can really judge it on. And if you start with Descartes, if you start in your head, it's impossible for you to say you shouldn't want that because that that makes reference to there's a there's a good result and a bad result as opposed to just your desires. Very much so. I mean, yeah, they yeah. There's a lot there <laughs> about what Descartes did. Sorry. I mean, no, but it's true. I mean, I had my mini rant about Voltaire and Rousseau uh, and the, the whole, but yeah, there's a lot there about a in your head type stuff. I think of a meme living in a capistan in your head might mm -hmm. be more true than I initially gave it credit for in, in, especially in the, in your head part, <laughs> that might be more true than the, the encapistan part necessarily <laughs> of a living in like, yeah, you're stuck in your head. Like, please come out to the real world. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, you can still be an, an anarcho-capitalist and be like, like, for example, someone like, uh, you know, Morlock, Morlock P or Travis Cochran. Like, he actually just, like, basically, he's like, yeah, okay, I'm going to move to New Hampshire and uh, I'm going to go to a farmstead and I'm going to learn how to farm and I'm going to do all these things. I'm going to write a book on it. I'm going to take a, like, long, like uh, you know, programming jobs that I can do from a distance. I'm going to move in here. I have my wife, I have friends, I have my dogs, I have a farm, I have sheep, I have pigs. I'm going to do all these stuff. I'm going to help me people move to New Hampshire. I'm going to make more laws for what I want, but I'm not going to fucking rant about what DeSantis is doing this week or whatever. <laughs> like, I'm just like going to do stuff that's practical to get at what I want or I think is better. Like, that's it. Mm -hmm.
And it might just be because Travis is a Catholic, so he just lives in the world. That might be it. I don't know. And it's, I mean, there's something very, the, the, the Catholic church obviously gets this to a large degree. Like, you know, and that's, that's why we're so good in aesthetics is we understand that, that our, our interaction with the physical is, is the way that we know the divine. Like we, we, we have, we make beautiful things because it tells us about, about real beauty and about, and about transcendent beauty. Um, but so one minor aside, like we like to make fun of, of libertarians living in a capsule in their head, but this is a symptom of like, you know, we're all guilty of it to some degree. We, mm -hmm. we live in a Cartesian world is, is everyone is guilty of, of to some degree and some much more than others. And the direction is certainly getting worse, but everyone's sort of focused on what's in their head and what's not, and what's in the real world. And the other thing I want to point out is, is this idea of, and I think it's, it's, Something, there's something wonderful about saying, okay, yep, I'm going to go move to New Hampshire, start my farm, have my wife, have my kids, is like doing those things and, and physically participating in the world outside your head mm -hmm. forms your thoughts in such a good way. Yes. Like you, you, it's, it's very hard to have a farmer like who's, you know, spent his whole life, you know, you know, caring about when it's, when it rain or not, plowing fields, you know, making sure his family has enough to eat. It's very hard for them to be living in their head. Because they are so in touch with the real world, is, is their ideas are constantly being beaten up. If they have if they have wrong ideas, reality corrects them very quickly. Yeah. If you're, if you're a, a French philosopher, if you're you know, most, <laughs> modernists, it is very easy for you to think stupid things and never have reality slap you in the face about how stupid. Don Hoffman. I mean, yeah. I mean, <laughs> the most egregious <laughs> example of the living in your head that we can see um, nowadays. The most, I think, damning in more ways than one, I mean, literally for the souls of people, is transgenderism. I mean, this mm -hmm. idea that gen sex, what you are, what you physically are, what has always been, what you, what a physical component of you, as well as a metaphysical ontological status for what you potentially can do to give birth or to see a woman to give birth, this idea is now, it's a thought in your head. Mm -hmm. and that's it. It's nothing more. Yeah. Which also is really funny because they recognize that can't be true because they always want people to validate them. They sort of accept that whatever that even if it's just a thought in my head, at the very least, the social roles were based on something of a community and that they need the community to either enforce or encourage or recognize for the most part. That's why they always try to pass as some they. You know, it's, I think some people have made this comment before, but basically cross-dressing is like blackface for women. Like, it looks ridiculous. Right. It never, it, it looks like genuinely offensive. <laughs> it looks criminally offensive. And it's really funny because like, I bet the 80% of people who watch RuPaul's Drag Race or whatever are people like my sister or women or usually young women of that age. And what that, maybe that's why they think it's uh, fine because that's, you know, what they were kind of raised watching. Uh, but it's this... It's very much just a thought in your head, and yet there's this rebellion against it because whenever they do interact with reality, that can't be true. It needs to be more. It's why they have surgeries. I mean, if it was just a thought in your head, why do you need why do you need surgery? And it's like, yeah. oh well, the body doesn't correspond to the thought in my head. Okay, why does the body not correspond to the thought in your head? Why is the thought in your head? Why is the body wrong? Not your thought, not the thought in your head. Yeah, and it's, it's this complete inversion of of the of the way our understanding should work. Is we understand the real world first, we understand reality, physical reality around us first, and then we then we intuit. Okay, I exist. These are things about me. And since mm -hmm. they're starting in their head, that's that's truth for them. And so the the, the reality is what gets shaped around. And it's it's a recasting of of the of original sin in a way. Is you know, I, I my my mind gets to decide reality. And if reality is not in, is is not does not conform to it, 
reality is the is the thing that's in, at fault. Mm -hmm. This reminds me. Of, um, yeah, go ahead. Caleb. This reminds me if you quote Einkast, it was a uh, was it when you um when you rejected it. Uh, not, I can't remember the exact quote right now, but it's like um, when you accept Cartesian idealism, your psychology becomes your theology. Um, yes, this really does. This is this spot on. The more I think about that, the more I see it, the more I'm like, yeah, he's, he's spot on with that one. Yeah. And again, something Maritain points out is this sort of the, the flaw of Descartes is this angelism is is you are you are acting like yeah. you're an angel. You're acting like you know, like the the, the thoughts in your head are. Um, primary in your thinking and that they're absolutely true and then reality yeah, you get all it. the information about the real world are clear and distinct ideas that are already in your head much like angels have their knowledge of the world directly from you know subsistent reality itself directly mm -hmm. from a kind of direct connection to it and that's why i think about his best his most his most fantastic quote that i've had so far or his most quotable line is a uh, russo's man is descartes angel acting like a beast which is mm -hmm. su such a good line. Fantastic Only a Frenchman line. could write that. <laughs> Dude, Zach Martin had some like fire quotes. Wait, what was I said one the other day on the uh, Ostertomism Twitter. I'll so find it real quick. Um, yeah, but while you're finding it, I'll say that the only person I've seen who makes um, Hegel's idea of development of spirit palatable is Scruton because he casts it in the light of interaction of the world that you only know yourself it's sort of a really weird Scruton has all these very funny and he doesn't realize he's doing it he's trying inadvertently to rescue scholastic theology from like the refuse of modern civilization and it's really really funny because he's because you'll like okay the only way i can define a person is to like go to aquinas like that's the only way i can do it it's like it's an incarnated thing and the incarnation cannot be you know just run away with you need to seriously deal with it so the, the transgender people can't be right he talks about this in sexual desire as well and in human nature but when he talks about hegel's theory of the development of self it's the interaction of the world and the reflection of yourself that you see in the world whenever you do this thing. It's like oh i do this thing but I'm doing – usually after you do this thing and you sort of find out what person you are and then you can mold yourself and then you – and then this is one of the importances of private property. So I can say this is mine and sort of shape it to mold me as well as I shape it. So I work on my farm. I'm shaping my personality as I'm shaping my farm. You know, I get married. I live with my wife. I have to cohabit. I have to deal with these issues. I have to deal with kids. I have to deal with finances. And as I do that, I'm also molding myself and, you know, it's this – this is why the dialectic, it's this interaction that, you know, this mutual interaction with you and the world and the other subjects in it that sort of always has a growth, not necessarily a growth, it can, you know, it can end badly sometimes. We don't want to, you know, we don't want to have a wig theory of self here. But, uh, you know, it's this idea that it's always changing. It's always having something with the interaction of the world. But if you stop the interaction of the world or deny it, at least. And you know you're gonna be, you're gonna be depressed. Basically, you're yeah. this you're gonna be suicidal, as we see with certain uh, certain trends in certain communities. <laughs> I found a quote. It was um, we do not need a truth to serve us. We need a truth that we can serve. Zach Maritain. Just great quote. True. He's wonderful. Yeah, I'm I'm super I'm so glad we get to, we'll cover with him because there's only like two other people on YouTube who cover him. You know, so I'm super glad to be among that group. I'm I'm intimidated for degrees of knowledge, but it's gonna be fantastic. I, think I, am, I found I, a Portuguese video on him, like a mini ooh. documentary, thirty minutes. I, I nice. sent a documentary to the uh, group chat the other day, and I'll, I'll put it in the description. If anybody wants, yeah, it was on the recommended on for that one. Yeah. <laughs> nice. It was directly like a Brazilian. I was like, oh, that's Dude, interesting. His his story about like him and his wife like wanting to find the truth or kill themselves is beautiful. 
Like also just so, just so incredibly French, right? Yeah, yeah it's <laughs> the most like married French couple thing I can think of. Either it. we find the truth together, or you know, suicide pact of the year. It's so like, romantic. Wow, okay. It's so like yeah, it's so this uh, you know end point of, <laughs> of romantical feeling. Just so this rom is it romanticism? I don't know how it'd be in, in English. Uh, romant I don't ah romanticism. I don't know romanticism maybe yeah it's it certainly feels like something like the poets of the romantic movement would talk about mm -hmm. this uh or troubadours in the 13th century or whatever this idea of like this uh this love of, it's oh it's very wagnerian if you know some of his operas <laughs> it's this very like yeah it's very operatic that's how i would put it certainly on that point earlier uh I guess you made a point earlier about how when a system is all inside your head, it kind of makes sense and it's logical when it's all inside your head. But the moment it, the, like the, the 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 ignoring of reality of common sense for a system that is like perfectly consistent inside your own head, like the encapsulated in your head situation. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a a friend right now who's going has to do, he's doing a cold war psychology class. Oh God, where they're trying to say uh, race doesn't exist. Um, and they're using all this like scientific gene evidence and examples of how race doesn't really exist. And he's sending me all these articles and links to everything in the class. And it's it's just a pure example of like, yeah, the, the teacher it's literally like says Steve Taylor articles. The teacher literally <laughs> says, um, there is no actually really good research on this, by the way. But continue. Yeah. Like, the teacher literally said there is no distinction. Of, um, there are no there are no difference between the races. And it's like I put a picture of a black guy and a white guy next to him. Yeah, no difference here. This is like the pew, like, this is peak rejection of like your senses. You can you can visibly look at two guys and see the difference. This is skin color, and like they're denying that. It's, right. it's asinine. But but like you said, they they can develop a system where they define race in such a way right. as here's our gene map and here's our you know we do our you know, however, whatever kind of plotting they use to sort of show genetic distance between things. And there's overlap between this group and this group. And there's, a, and so they, they, you know, make a system, they make definitions within that system. And if they, if they sort of turn the crank and follow it to its conclusions, it says, okay, these are the same thing. And there's, mm -hmm. I mean, there, there's, they found something that they're, they're not completely devoid of reality. Again, there's some nugget of truth in there in terms of what they're actually finding, but you're completely separated from one, what it actually means in the real world. Mm -hmm. And to the common sense, obvious thing that yes, these two people are obviously very distantly related, if at all, like there's, there's, there is something fundamentally different. And I can categorize these people in this group and these people in this group that has to do with genealogy. And it's, it's, Again, you, you, there's there's a lot of value to be gained by those tools, but if you don't understand that you're using them, and that's what happens, is you forget that it's a system that you're working with. You mm -hmm. forget that you're they, that you you think the system is the real world, and it's not referring to the real world, and that's why you end up saying preposterous things. You see it in, in uh, remarkably in physics is probably the, the worst place you see it. And I know um, uh, when we were covering Phaser's five proofs, his a lot of his rebuttals are like, okay, a lot of people have said this about physics. It's not true. Yes. A lot of people have said this about physics. It's not true. Uh -huh. <laughs> the only way you can have that, because physics works really well. Like mm -hmm. you, physics, you know, is the most, the most precise, accurate, incredibly predictive science that we have and has ever existed in the world and tells you some amazing things if you understand what it's actually telling you. Yeah. But also because you don't digest it properly, people have said incredibly stupid things and think that they're, they're justified by reality because they're they, that's true of the system and not necessarily of the what their system refers to yeah there's this great quote that geach uses peter geach uses i think in the virtues it's from charles dickens whereas he's like talking about insane ethical hypotheticals and stuff like that and he just and he just says okay to quote charles dickens but don't you know this isn't so so let us not suppose it and that's basically the put down necessary it's like this isn't the case so let's not suppose it moving on <laughs>
This is like this is like just look mm -hmm. at the. I think this is why the rationalists, as annoying as they are, people like Yudkowsky, they will have a very good point when they constantly repeat the map is not the territory. Look, there is a territory, and you have a mental map of it. The map is not the territory. Don't confuse one for the other. Mm -hmm. They are very different. Even even if your map's really good, there will you will encounter dragons every now and then if you're not careful, and you're gonna and it's not gonna look good. We got a comment or, from a God's Mike Bastia. <laughs> this guy's been using a bunch of Quinn stuff, like statism is a sin. This Quinn's Quinn's Mike. <laughs> <laughs> moving on, but no, since you know that is supposed to let us not suppose it, Mike. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. That, that that quote about the the um, map is not the territory. I mean, I, I, we live in a world where everyone thinks the map is the uh, the map is the real thing. Uh -huh. You made the comment about transgenderism earlier, and I think I mean just it's it's ubiquitous. Is you, is you think if you there's something you don't like about the real world because it doesn't conform to your mind, so you try and change the map, right? Like mm -hmm. he's like, okay, I, I wish there was a river here, and you draw it on the map. I and mean, I, I don't think anything could sum up a lot of the sort of identity crises that we see in the world more than that. And that, that's, yeah. it's, it's what you're doing essentially. And if you, if you, if you understand your own nature or the nature of the world, you, you see how ridiculous these things are. I've come to this conclusion that like understanding properly understanding human nature and the, how to put this, all bad political ideologies stem from a misunderstanding of human nature. Like I'm really beginning to understand like human nature. Like, yeah. This understanding is why it, people, anthropology is so important. Yes. Philosophical anthropology, which Absolutely. is why I like Scruton's book on it. Because even if you don't agree, because his anthropology is kind of just like a, a very modern idea of Aquinas without all this scholastic metaphysics, but he's really good at rebutting everyone else. Yes. It's like saying, no, you're wrong. No, you're wrong. No, you're wrong. No, you're wrong. His, you don't him going after Dawkins, he went after Dawkins and then you're dinner like the first chapter. It was awesome. Yeah. He goes hard it's, after them, in fact, yeah, like, in, we're gonna have, like in sexual desire, I think. We're he goes gonna have hard after that Sunday. Going, uh, on human nature, human nature. but yeah, he goes crazy. hard after Dennett as Phaser does in a uh, philosophy of mind, if mm -hmm. I remember correctly. Uh, when Grant Jeremy were talking about it, Grant uh, Phaser goes hard after Dennett because you yeah. need to get mind. Because even if you don't get mind right, you at least need to get the anthropology how the mind, quote unquote, because it's not really the mind, it's the whole person interacts with the world. You need to get mm -hmm. that part right at least to talk about all the other stuff. You maybe don't really need to kind of understand the inner workings of the mind, quote unquote. But you need to get the, the anthropology right, or else you can you can really do no science or no nothing that involves societies and people ever. Absolutely. It's what are they gonna say? Um, I keep having trains of saw and I keep losing them. Um, happens. Yeah, this is not my night. Um, well, it's been gone for an hour and ten minutes. I don't think LB is showing up, so I have to reschedule with him again. Tragic. <laughs> Um, he always has good excuses. He's always visiting his family, which is a good excuse to have to skip this. Um, yeah, that's good. We got a question here for Miss Tibbet. Timbit, oh, no. if uh, you were a D and D character, what class, race, class alignment would you be? Um, are we going for a realistic answer, like, uh, or just Ooh. like a complete uh, make believe? Uh, what would I like? Let's go. Uh, I don't know. Whatever one you want to do. I don't know which one he's asking. Uh, okay, I think. Uh. I don't know. I think it. Yeah, I guess I'll go for both at the same time. I'll say they're one and the same. Let's say a probably gnome race. I don't know. No, that's race, but class. Uh, I don't know. Maybe tinker. I don't know. I wouldn't like to go to the ventures. You get hurt in that. Um, <laughs> I just like to like make gnome constructs and uh, play pranks on people every now and then. So 
but probably lawful good because that's uh, as as Moldbug says, chaos is evil, order is good. Those are the only two options. So let's go for lawful good. I'm Kevin. What about you? I, I would love to say that I would be lawful good because I agree with Bulge. Like lawful good is is good good. <laughs> yeah, basically. I would, I would probably end up being more uh, more chaotic good. Uh, tragically, yeah, probably. <laughs> um, class and race. Uh, one of the just just to just to be like avant garde, be one of the, like the random races, like like the bird people or something like that. Like, oh like, yeah, like, I know. Like, like a, like a really funny, or something like that. Do you, one really funny thing in lore: Kenku can only say what they hear other people say. So if you hear a word, you can repeat it forever. But they can't. But if they never heard a word, they can't ever say it, even if they can understand it and read it. Which yes. is just a really funny tidbit. That's, <laughs> that's basically me. Basically, so basically just reciting what I've heard verbatim. Yeah, every time there's like people talking and you're in a conversation, you just kind of have to repeat what other people said out of context to try and get a point across. <laughs> <laughs> which, like that. We should, okay, that's yeah, what we should do with Jeremy and Grant, really. Say <laughs> <laughs> like a sing-song voice. <laughs> I hope they get your point. <laughs> just try, just just be mocking the entire time. Just like, like, like I'm, I'm just saying back what you said to me. Just do it in a really obnoxious voice. <laughs> Perfect race, yeah, for King yeah. of Kenku. You, what about you, Caleb? I think I'd go uh, dwarf. Um, probably a dwarf. I don't know. Probably uh, lawful good magic class of some kind. Probably wizard. Probably yeah, and yeah, lawful good dwarf wizard. I I'd always go for a sorcerer with a wizard in games because wizard seems like too much work sometimes. It is. I, I I'm playing a, a sorcerer now. I'm playing like a dragonborn sorcerer. It's been a, a lot of fun. Nerds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Next comment. Yeah, as I expected. She has a point. Okay. Any final points on the enlightenment or anything we discussed before we wrap this up? I do have one final quick story about Notre Dame, but oh yes, I forgot about that. Comments on enlightenment before that. That's the one to close the show. Feel good story. Absolutely. I don't. I don't have anything pithy. I've, I could just keep ranting for a while longer, but I don't, I don't think I have anything that could be condensed into a fifteen-minute soundbite or fifteen-second soundbite. Fifteen-minute soundbite. <laughs> Let's see. Fifteen-minute soundbite. Um, <laughs> yeah. like, soundbite yeah, the, this is I the podcast era soundbites. Yeah, I just <laughs> only fifteen minutes. What are you doing? I just can't narrow it down to fifteen minutes, guys. Sorry. <laughs> That's good for like two days. <laughs> um, I think Piffy one liner. The Enlightenment led to Don and Hoffman, and that's why it was a mistake. That's there we go. That's my argument. Oh, anybody, who, anybody doesn't know Don and Hoffman. It was a guy who wrote uh, the, the uh, how evolution hides like the case against reality. How evolution hides the truth from our eyes. Um, it's anybody, no one's read it or look into it because it's fucking retarded. But it, 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 he's a, he's a perfect example of the whole. I divide the system inside my head, and now it um. It makes sense because the mass. Because I did my own math and said, said I was right. Like no, it's it's, it's example. It really is sort of the the perfect culmination of exactly what we've been talking about. Where you you have, like Caleb said, you've got. I've, I've built up a system in my mind so it can tell me about the world, ignoring one that that system. I how did I come up with that system except by referring to the outside world? Like the the quote where I, I think this is one of the interviews he did, like and when he was um, pushing the the book. But he was talking about like the simulations that he had run on his computer, and you know some some sophisticated you know mathematics and some coding that went into it, and the output you know tells him okay I don't experience reality, and and doesn't <laughs> and doesn't make the connection that like looking at your computer screen and reading the result of the computer screen is interacting with reality. Like it's just it's it's so, completely, and I I don't know how it doesn't just 
smack you in the face that, okay, clearly, okay, I'm, 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 something has gone wrong in my thinking when I'm relying on things that I'm seeing directly to tell me that I can't rely on the things that I'm seeing directly. Uh, I, mean, I was reading some of his book at one point. Um, I, I, I have a friend who actually, like, my best friend in real life loves Don Hoffman, loves that book. Really? It's, yeah, it's a, it's oh, the man. same. Um, he's the quizziest guy I know. Um, and I asked him, like, what's it like? Well, how is this not solipsism? How is this not like can't know we out exist? Oh, he has a, he's a, he's a part now in the book where he says, um, what book? this is not solipsism because I am not a philosopher. And he moves on. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, that's not, that's not how you answer that kind of question there, Donald. Yeah, I love this sort of, like, and there's, so this is also sort of, and I think it's sort of an evolution of that same sort of enlightenment thought. And sorry, I, I suddenly have, have things I can add. Um, yep. But you have this sort of, this, this bifurcation of, of the science and philosophy. And, this, mm-hmm. and, and it's like, starting probably shortly after the alignment, they sort of become two separate things. Instead of you know science as we understand it now being a growth out of philosophy, so yeah. you can sit there and say it's like okay here's all this math I did in this you know these academic journal articles and it's like well what about this uh, ask the philosophers that's not really we we don't deal with that in the real world and it's just, it's this complete misunderstanding of what the goal of philosophy is and how it should how it should interact with you know the actual things that you do and it's like okay, who who cares what the you know the philosophers they'll they'll tell you what to think of that here's what the here's what the math says and it's. Again, this falls out of this out of this really this deep confusion about how we know things and what we know and why we know it. That starts with, again, I, I still blame Descartes primarily. Yeah. Instead Same. of instead of here's what the math says, I originally heard here's what the mass said. <laughs> much, which is much better answer. Much yeah, better. which is a better answer. I'm like, yeah, okay, that's what this is what my priest at the homily said. Okay, fair enough. I at least understand that. I understand where you're coming from with that. It's like okay. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he got like something of physics wrong, but it's like, yeah, there's probably like truth in there. After, after the three reformers, we really should cover like that book, um, or at least cover Darren Hoffman's ideas in, in Zidwell, because I think that's just the like the cover. But why all these people, the three reformers, and then cover like the the result of all of that in Darren Hoffman's um, philosophy would be. And here's the thing I'll, I'll say, I, I suspect, again, if you, because, because again, the, like he did some math, math does work correctly. There probably is something in his results that is, that is novel and interesting and tells you something about, about how we interact with the world. It's just not that we don't sense reality, Yeah, yeah. but, 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 he, but he's not able to unpack that because he doesn't, he doesn't know what he knows. We live like, in an think, evolutionary generated uh, simulation, according to him. Like, and it's here's like, an interesting, what would be an interesting result. I think this was an actual result. Like we don't observe 90% of the actual surround stuff surrounding us because we have a narrow array of focus. And in fact, you can do it right now. You can kind of unfocus your eyes or you can like focus on an object. And then, you know, everything else sort of becomes peripheral vision. It loses detail. You know, your eyes are like a camera lens. You, your senses don't capture all of reality. Um, you can't see like maybe some animals can see different colors or because they can see more of the electromagnetic spectrum, stuff like that. It's like, okay, yeah, we don't see all of being true. Mm-hmm. And also what would be interesting for cognitive science, like, okay, how, what do we see? What do we focus on? What do we usually focus on? How is our sort of body wired to sense and perceive things? How does evolution deal with this? You know, that stuff is interesting, but when you say, yeah, we don't perceive reality, it's like, then evolution is fake because we wouldn't be here if that's the case. We have no, we have no advantage over a blob with no eyes and no legs and no skin and no nothing because we don't perceive anything. It's like, okay, you're not moving. You, you don't have, your legs don't work for nothing. The blob is better than you because it at least doesn't say this bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We got some funny comments from Andrew over here. Um, 
says we need to do a live question on libertarian uh, live questions on libertarians on air, uh, like a like sumo question. Yeah, yeah. Um, here it goes on question of ownership. Objection one: The Saint John Zach Rousseau says about power autonomy. Respond to objection one: Anything said by Rousseau can be dismissed out of hand because he abandoned his five kids. <laughs> Agreed. I, I feel like my, my, the favorite idea that I've seen from you, Caleb, was when you did like your Zoomer th- uh, uh, Zoomer Theologica. <laughs> Zoomer Theologica, yeah. It's just, that was. It's amazing. And I, I want to. I want to see that develop because it's just. I, I, it cracks me up every time. I still want to like write a little whole article. Why just do like? I, I just like. What I've been doing. I've been taking like parts of the assume I have, and I read a question. How do I translate this into slang? <laughs> translate this into Zoom. I just like I'll translate the slang. <laughs> it's just. I feel like what's his name? Uh, that uh, Islamic philosopher like translated Aristotle. I feel like him just translating Aquinas to the modern age. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I'm, I, I can't even say them off of Sarabi. I can't. I can't say. It. I can't. I cannot pronounce Arab names for the life of me. Um, but uh, we, yeah, there's, there's there's so many bullshit outcomes from the Enlightenment and really from the Protestant Reformation. Um, I'm oh, sorry, revolt. Can I say Reformation revolt? Um, it's just like you see it everywhere. You know, you see. It's really funny because here I almost said Reformation, but in class, in history class, while we were discussing French uh, Enlightenment and French Revolution, I almost said Revolution like five times, <laughs> 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 and I just couldn't stop myself. Then gave yourself in trouble. Dude, I. This is why I can't go to school. I I can't, I can't keep my mouth shut. I don't think I, I would I, even get in trouble because, like, I don't think they would have cared. They mostly questioned it and like say, like, yeah, I just say, yeah, it's more accurate. Like they didn't reform the church because they my like because again, like fifty percent of people in Brazil are Catholic. So even like my teacher, who's like kind of Catholic, but not like he goes to mass, but he doesn't really like know all the theology and stuff like that. But he goes every month or so. So he's like, so even he said like, yeah, the Counter Reformation was the real Reformation. Uh, he's just said this it's like yeah it wasn't a counter-reformation that that was what would actually reform the church and actually did stuff in the church everything else was outside it so it doesn't count he didn't say it was a revolt though i don't think he'd go that far <laughs> but he he just <laughs> casually say stuff like this that would be kind of weird to like a you know a prot a prot historian like they wouldn't say that it's... so so last thing we need to cover real quick sorry we, we haven't talked about how the how the enlightenment led to uh to boasting about being a cuckold oh. on twitter <laughs> That's right. Okay, so the Enlightenment is gay, as we all know. And being a cuck is also gay. So we could say that the Enlightenment created cucks. I think that's a that's a fair it also created veganism. I'm gonna argue I mean it's also the exploration of hedonism. There are no rules in nature, stuff like that. Uh, everything is permissible. So well, yeah, it, it goes back to this what's in your head is you know if I, I want to I want to live in a or I want to be in a in a polyamorous relationship or this this person would be happy thinks they would be happier if they were you know dating me and this other person and their cat like it's it's that becomes the priority the, the most important thing not actually you know okay well how does how to how to what is the nature of, of human beings how do they procreate how do they you know mm-hmm. live happily what's what forms fulfilling relationships it becomes completely subjective as you know well, I, I can decide what makes me happy which is the a, a really dumb idea that is incredibly pervasive mm-hmm. so this is why we had to bring it up anybody who doesn't know uh anthony samuel tweeted out i'm Polly, and my beautiful girlfriend who is the love of my life has another boyfriend ask me anything and he is getting dragged to hell right now i wish he was being dragged upward and away from this you know nonsense but it is just the fact that he wouldn't he not only would do this but then brag about it on Twitter. I think it might it's, be a troll because I re- I think last I time really I know. heard him speak, he, he said he didn't have a girlfriend, but maybe he was Polly. 
back then like, too. Who, so, so, like, yeah, who, who is this person, by the way? Because I've, I've I follow people that follow him, but I don't. I'm not I remember him, at all. him writing some interesting stuff on psychology and economics because he works. I don't know if he works at the Mises Institute, but he's published stuff there, which is interesting mm -hmm. stuff. He's like published like good stuff against like he explaining what Marx meant and why it's wrong, and then going deep into like the theories of. Um, history between Marx and Mises and comparing the two. So he's actually a good writer. That's how I know him. Okay. I believe he, I heard he used to be like a white wing, like closed borders libertarian guy, but he got really woke recently. Um, guess he got a liberal girlfriend and just, just dragged him out of it. But it's, yeah, it's just, the, 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 the conclusion. Classic Adam today. and Eve story. Women are evil and should be avoided at all costs. Absolutely. Virginity <laughs> procured. It's not, procured, not procured. What's the one looking for? Protected. Secured. God, my brain is not lined up. Secured. That's the word. Um. Yeah. No. It, it's just. It's so cringe. Everything is so cringe nowadays. <laughs> I just. I don't. Like. I have a friend texting text me. He's like. He's like. Hey. What's your response? And he said me like it's like articles was class. And I'm like it's cringe, gay, and zogged. I'm not engaging. Yeah. It's like, here, no. I have this Nick Lenn essay on Heidegger and Trackle. Uh, I think you should read it. It's just like send, like, I don't know, CCRU meltdown stuff. I, I just, and I like, just to walk in and say the end. We'll have a heart attack. That was my advice. Nobody say, no, no one, someone in the class brings up uh, African American, just say, you mean to just do that number and leave? This is why you can't go to school, Caleb. You're not welcome I, there anymore. I, I can't, I can't be, I've been told four times this past two weeks I need to go to college to study philosophy. And I said, no, I can't go somewhere where I know everyone is wrong. I have to go somewhere people are right. Yeah, that's the, the, the dilemma. I can't, go, I can't go to this place. They're wrong. Exactly. I have to go somewhere where they're correct, the Catholic school. I'm not going to sit there and like I, – dude, I flipped out on this. My friend, the same friend, his professor asked the question to the class, oh, what makes a human a human? And uh, he said reason, and she mocked him wrong. Which I hate the fact that you can just like, like a teacher can just mock like a philosophical question like that wrong out of hand. I, I hate the idea already. But her answer was a soul is what makes someone a human because not everyone can reason. And it's like, what kind of soul? You know, a, 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 a vegetative soul, <laughs> like a rational soul, maybe. And like, it's just like I went about how she was Protestant. Like, Protestants don't know what a soul is. Like this is my biggest like like I was it's in the, the ghost in the shell. It's literally the ghost in the shell. The Protestant I, view of the soul is the ghost in the shell, and I yes. hate it. Yes. Dude, I, I don't know how many times I've heard of my my old church. Um, the body sin, the soul does not sin. I'm like, well, why seek forgiveness then? Like, how does this work? Like, how how does any of that make any sense? Like, it, it's just, it's so retarded. And it's like if it just went a little little quiet, a little air start. It would be a bit uh, so much for the yeah, better for it. This is it's why well it's retarded. Yeah, but Soy Spinoza, despite getting a lot of stuff wrong, I think, despite being very, very smart, he actually kind of gets the mind-body thing right when because he's read some Aristotle. He When he says, you know, the mind is the idea of the body and the body is the reality of the mind. They're like, that's what they are. And then you can sort of see, you know, the mind, you know, the soul is... The soul is the form of the body. The body is the material of the soul, and it's all together in one thing. And they're not really separate. They're just like maybe different ways of looking at the same thing, but they're really one thing. I mean, you can sort of abstract it and just look at the rationality of the person, not their animality or whatever, but they're together. So Spinoza is more correct than Protestants in this. And they should feel bad. <laughs> they should feel bad. They should feel really bad. Uh, well, we've gone for an hour and a half. If LB was a hop in right now, we'd have to go for another hour. So I want to end this before <laughs> so we, we got to get away before he gets here. I want to end this before he gets in because I don't want to go another hour. I have work tomorrow. <laughs>
okay. Um, uh, final. Let's do that in the Notre Dame story, and then we'll do plugs. Sure. So, uh, I'm reading from the Guardian here. Um, so how medieval carpenters are rebuilding Notre Dame. So here in a forest clearing in northern Burgundy, history is being remade to the sound of chisel against stone and axe against wood as 23rd century artisans relearn and perfect long forgotten medieval skills. Why or how they're doing this is the Guédelon. Guédelon project was dreamed up as an exercise in experimental archaeology 25 years ago. Instead of digging down, it has been built upward, using only the tools and methods available in the Middle Ages and, wherever possible, locally sourced material. Now, in an unforeseen twist of fate, Guédelon is playing a vital role, role in restoring the structure and soul of Notre Dame Cathedral. So basically, the idea is that no one really, at, when it when the fire happened in 2019, like the way the cathedral was built, specifically the roof beams that caught fire, and it was actually this really complex structure with techniques that were incredibly advanced over time, and that now that we just use industrially produced wood and can sort of use modern tools, no one knew how to, or no one thought, or everyone thought no one knew how to actually imitate it. But then the Guedelon project kind of spoke up and said, actually, our guys know how to do this. And we've trained a lot of people who know how to do this. So a number of the bidding companies for the Notre Dame work have already engaged carpenters trained at Guedelon and more are expected to beat a path to the Burgundy clearing 200 kilometers down the Autorhut du Soleil from Paris. So more carpenters are going there to train. And I believe it's actually a solely private enterprise. They occasionally work uh, with like state research projects. Of, for archaeology, but, for, for, but they are a private enterprise in itself. So this is actually a win for the liber for the free market libertarians here. They could sort of say, "Yeah, fuck you. The state would do this. Private enterprise, hell yeah." And uh, let's see. Uh, so the way it so basically, no their argument by guys at Guidelon, which some of them have like there's like a philosopher who turned carpenter working there. And they're also like getting the blacksmith there to get the access to chop down the trees and actually saw it correctly because they're not using a sawmill. They refuse to do it, all the guys at Guedalong. Uh And the idea is that it's not the way we're doing this is not just nostalgia. If Notre Dame la roof lasted 800 years, it is because of the way they did their wood. There is no heart in sawmill wood, is what he said. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's even a picture of the blacksmith here. Uh, let's see. Now, after 25 years, we're the only ones who can understand and are able to do what has to be done, and they discover we have not sold our soul to the devil. Our people will be working on Notre Dame one way or another, but why would we want to go to Paris? We will continue our 13th century work here. Uh, da, da, da. uh let's see. So this is the... Uh, Florian Renucci, the Guedelon site manager and philosopher turned master mason, has already been asked to oversee training of artisans expected to work in Notre Dame. All we heard over and again after Notre Dame burned was that it was not possible to reconstruct the roof as before. There was no wood, no savoir-faire. It was an argument used by those who wanted to modernize. We show that it can be done, and we know how to do it. So, okay, basically they can do it, but the problem, the one problem they have is that Macron promised to reopen Notre Dame by 2024, and the guys are Guadalajara saying, that's insane. Give us a couple of years, but, like, if you're going to rush it, you're going to do it wrong. You're going to try to modernize it. You're going to try to change it. Do not do that. 
I mean, I mean, as, as you see, this guy just openly said we did not sell our soul to the devil. So I feel like maybe this is <laughs> this might be a group of a uh, there might be a couple of religious tendency in the group that certainly runs the operation, which is very interesting. But that's the uh, that's the feel good story that I have. I, of I love Notre that Dame. story. That is an fantastic. awesome story. Like I, I honestly, the whole Notre Dame like rebuilding story has been like full of amazing situations, like. Um, Ubisoft from the, they they had mapped uh, mm-hmm. Notre Dame a whole lot for the game Assassin's Creed Unity. They like they had a, they, they had the plans. They had to like, use the plans from the video game to help rebuild some of it. It's just yeah, it's they have the most accurate insane. 3D rendering of Notre Dame plans possible, and they can use those plans for reconstruction. It's, that's probably what the guys at Guadalupe are going to use. So that's a very so beautiful, it's just a so very awesome. beautiful modern and ancient. I, I love it. This is how, very awesome. Like, church this really feels like a heavy-handed metaphor by the way yeah. like rebuilding Mo- no- Mo- notre dame of like both old and new methods really feels like a very heavy-handed metaphor i mean for what the church is going through we are, we are very pro notre dame over here because look at me look at the background on this podcast look at the profile pick for the podcast I mean, I've been to notre dame before it was beautiful but i was oh, i was no. an agnostic back then unfortunately so i didn't I really appreciate so it but it was you know jaw-dropping yeah, it's it's a beautiful, beautiful building. I, I need I need to go. I need to go to Europe. I've never been out of America, and I really gotta get to Europe. I mean, America's a huge. Yeah. I don't make well, different. I've only been in like six states, so it's like even smaller. Um, Still, okay. Well, uh, I'm gonna do some plugs. Uh, Bokov, plugs. Uh, well, I'm at available username on Twitter. Uh, I'm I write for Astrotomism. I've only written two articles so far. Well, I'm working on several further. I'm seeing which one is worth continuing, which one uh, is maybe outdated or not worth continuing because it's not fun anymore. Several ones in the works. I don't know which one will actually make it to the light of day, but that's what I have so far. I'm not really anywhere else at the moment. Got it. I'm Kath. What about you? At I'm Kath on Twitter, anarchocatholic.substack.com. Also contributing to the the new and improved Ostrotomism website. Um Similar to Bulge, I've got a bunch of things that are sort of half written. They will turn into articles. I need a, I need a, a more aggressive editor and Caleb to just like you know smack me occasionally and say, "Hey, write something." Um, so it's 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 Caleb's fault that I'm not writing enough. Uh, is <laughs> what I'm trying to say here. I need to read more. You need to write more. <laughs> just, I need to write more. It's a vicious cycle. Like, you start reading all of my yeah. writing and never actually get I, <laughs> I just need to actually like sit down and just like for an hour just write random stuff, see if it's worth and pursue instead of writing a little bit. And then like, yeah, I don't know. That's basically my method so far. And I need to just like get time, sit down, write, see if yeah. it's good. I'll, I'll start writing like a chapter for the book I'm, write, I'm writing. And I'll write like one paragraph. I got to research that a little bit more. And I'll go spend like two months reading a book. <laughs> then never come back. Then I go back to like, okay, write problem. one more paragraph. <laughs> I want to read like five books in metaphysics before I comment on this. Uh, yes. I don't know if I want to. Yes. Okay. So, Osteotomism has a uh, Patreon. You can uh, I'll put a link in the description after this after the stream. Um, <laughs> support the Patreon. You get access to this to the uh, Discord where you can ask us questions, hang out with us in Discord. That'd be fun. We're, we're going to figure out some more bonuses later on. We got a lot of things in the work. We're going to take Osteotomism, make it bigger. We're going to incorporate more stuff going forward. It's going to be amazing. Um, how do we get those cool hats? Uh, once I once I figure out how to actually add a store page to the website, I will start selling the hats and the tank top Thomism t-shirts and the hoodies I'm making. So we're gonna. I, well, I I gotta figure out how to. But I, I, if I get once I add the store page, we're good to go. I might just say screw it and make an Etsy page and just do it that way. 
But um, so we got that going on. Um, this week we have just um, let's see. Also, tell me the tonight roundtable is done. Tomorrow we have I have Jay coming on for uh, Carl Smith's conservative political. Then I have Tommy coming on for an episode of Flaming Like I'm Five ESG. And then Bill Kyle comes on again Sunday for on book on human nature. Yep. Then Paul Faraday comes on for an episode on American patriotism, which I'm super excited for that one. Mm-hmm. And then, and sometime in October, uh, Einkast and I are going to cover, I believe, uh, hopefully, metaphysics, uh, classic introduction. No, what's it called? Introduction to classic metaphysics by Ed Faso. Yep. Um, and then, then both of them are going to start the sexual desire from uh, Roger Scruton. Yeah, I'm actually, I probably should write that. I should actually just write like a summary of the chapters because you can yes. sort of group it very easily. Yes, you so like, partner, it's like five. Cha- there's like five articles you can write to like yes. sum up the basic ideas of each chapter it's, of like each part. It's a phenomenal book. Everyone needs to go read that one. Preparation for it's it. It's really good. It's really good. And then uh, we got to the read the nod for Einkast uh, from by Maritan. Sex Desire by Screw with Belkov, and then uh, Poppy Liberty and I are going to cover Leftism by Laden. Each of these would be a five-episode um, series for each book, because they're massive books. So we're going to take time to dive deep into each of the ideas, do mm-hmm. four chapters an episode, um, and we're going to really focus on these books. It's going to be uh, really fun. Just if there's anything else going on in the books uh, to cover in the future. Um, I think that's, that's already a lot. Yeah, so I think that's everything that's going on, everything that's planned. Uh, I don't have any, there's a, I don't plan to cover any more books besides what's listed for the rest of the year. This is a, this is the plan for the rest yeah. of the year. There's nothing new. Come 2023, got a lot of great, a lot of great ideas. Um, make sure you guys subscribe. Everything's on Austrian now. My show, Austrian If Bokov and Ann can want to do anything, they'll cover things. Popular Liberty wants to, oh, he's going to start doing stuff over here, Austrian as well. We're going to have a lot more stuff coming out, a lot of great content. Make sure you subscribe, hit the Patreon, follow us on Twitter at Austrian uh, on Twitter. Website is AustroTomism.com. Uh, we are on all the podcasters. You can find us anywhere. We got a lot of good stuff coming out, and I think you guys will really enjoy it. So make sure you like, comment, say, subscribe, tell your friends, all that good stuff. I think that that's it. Anyone have any any final words? Uh, Rousseau, Rousseau and Voltaire were, uh, you know, bastards and disasters for the human race. Uh, that's it. And also, uh, I'll I'll take a quote from Nietzsche. You know, Kant is a catastrophic spider. Not for uh, not for as Nietzsche thought. I think Phaser talks about this. Not for as Nietzsche thought, sneaking in Christian morality into the world, but sneaking in modern morality into Christian thinking. I'll mm. say that. That's what I'll end on. I like Kant, the catastrophic spider. Einkast. Any final uh, thoughts? Final uh, words. Follow uh, the blessed uh, Shia LaBeouf and join the church. Yeah. Amen. Watch the Padre Pio movie. Give, go give yes. them money. Watch yes. it in cinemas. Buy it. I don't care. Buy four tickets for only one person. That movie needs yep. to blow up. Okay. Well, everyone, uh, thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed. Uh, have a good night.